Okay, good morning, everyone. Try and keep an eye on the time. Um, yeah, if you don't already know me, my name's Nita. I'm part of uh, the church here. It's my pleasure to speak to you this morning. Okay, and I'm speaking to you today on should we put God first? And there's a multiple choice question. Yes? No? <laughs> I heard you, David. <laughs> or maybe. <laughs> and some of you will have heard a talk on this subject a few years ago, so you might know what's coming. If that's the case, bear with me, bear with the repetition, but also do still expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you, because sometimes we need reminding. I need reminding. So here's the statement to help answer the question. If we are followers of Jesus, God should be our number one priority. So do we agree with this? Is it the right thing to do? Put God first, making on... I just want to make sure everyone agrees with me, otherwise I've got no talk, okay? So we all agree, yeah? Good. Well, we're in very good company because Jesus' number one priority was also God. The Gospels say several times that Jesus says and does nothing except what his father tells him and what his father shows him. And I hope that you all get that when we say put God first, this also means putting Jesus first because Jesus is the only way that we can have a father relationship with God. Drew explained that really clearly this morning, thanks. And if you don't get it, come and talk to me afterwards. So we agree the answer is yes. It is of prime importance for every follower of Jesus um, that we put God first. So we're going to concentrate. The rest of the talk is about why we put God first and how we put God first. So we're going to answer the first question, why? Why put God first? Why? Why should we love him with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength? What's so important about him that we can't just afford to call him to mind when we need him, when we're desperate, or when we gather together like this with other believers? What is it about God that makes us want to give him the highest honor in our thinking? Let's remind ourselves. Over to you. Any ideas? Why put God first? Because he made us. Because he's faithful to us. Because he's God. I love that. I love that. Because we need him. Because he tells us to. Very good. Okay, I'm going cut to it, cut it there a little bit. Yeah, he's done so much to draw us close to him. He sent Jesus. He gave us a one and only way to deal with sin so that it doesn't have to separate us from him any longer and we can become sons and daughters. He is truly amazing. And it's our natural human reaction to value things according to how they directly affect us, isn't it? Someone does something kind for us, so we value them. We're grateful for it. We remember it. It's perfectly normal and reasonable. But for a believer, the reason we love God and want to honor him needs to be more than what he's done for us. I'm smiling at Mike because we had a conversation this morning. It needs to be more than what he's done for us. It needs to be about knowing who he is and what he's like. And as Tony said, we love him because he's God. No other reason. That's hard for us, okay? I'm, I, you know, I haven't got this yet. It's about God and his very nature, his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his justice, his hatred of sin, his compassion, his faithfulness, his mercy, his kindness, all of those things. 
That's his nature. Those are the things that make people fall down when they encounter him, when you read about it in the Bible. All those things the angel said, we sang a song this morning, holy, holy. All of those things are to do with who God is, not what he's done for them. And the reason he does those things is because of his nature. He does do loads for us. All of us have testimonies of the goodness of God to us. He does it because of his nature. And he can't help it. He can't help doing it any more than water can help being wet or the sun can help shining. He can't do it. It's in the nature. However, if we do just concentrate on what God has done, we can end up with a me-focused life. And we end up being the number one priority, not God. And now, don't get me wrong, it's really vitally important that we are aware of what God has done for us and thanksgiving is a really important part of the Christian life. I'm not saying don't recognise those things, but don't stop there. Because if we stop there, we are the focus. We end up praying prayers and singing songs that are basically about us, not about God. We are drawn to scriptures that are me-focused. And even, have you ever noticed some of our daily readings... And even some Christian books are primarily focused on me. And it's not always obvious at first because the name of Jesus is mentioned a lot. um, But it's mentioned in a way that sort of focuses on us and not on him. If our spiritual well-being depends mainly on God's provision, it's also a very precarious way to live because it's fine when things are going well. Jesus is our everything. We love him so much. We're never going to stop believing in him. And like the song says that that, uh, I've sung before, you do all things well. Just look at our lives. Do you know that song? It's fine for us to sing that because we live in a relatively wealthy country with free access to basic needs, to education, welfare, justice, all of that. You know, they mostly work. But it falls down big time if you are a 55-year-old Ukrainian woman who's been forced to escape from Mariupol and who's having to come to terms with the fact that all she now owns are the clothes on her back. Because what does her life look like right now? If she's going to measure the goodness of God by that, then God is going to come out of that equation very badly. You can tell I've been talking to someone who's just come back from Ukraine, can't you? And I found out this morning that that woman is actually a Christian And I just want to pray for her that, that God, she will find you in spite of the mess of her life and what she's come from. She will find your faithfulness because you love her. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, and don't feel bad if you really like that song, by the way. I've got nothing against it, and I've got no idea what the songwriter had in their mind. So I'm not, I'm just saying, maybe it's the wrong way round to say, our lives are good, therefore God is good. I'm very happy to discuss it with you afterwards. So if things don't go well or we're bombarded by a series of unfortunate events or we're in distress, it does get increasingly difficult to thank and praise God for what he has done because we can't see past what's going on around us. If we don't know who God is, if we haven't got a conviction of his reliable, steadfast, unchanging nature, if we don't believe that he is good no matter what, we will become spiritually shaky. And that's when we start wondering, do you love us, God? Can you hear us? Have we done something so wrong that even Jesus can't forgive us? We know that's not true, but you can't help thinking like that. Are you even real, God? I'm going to give you a very quick example, okay, from the Bible. Um, When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt under Moses' leadership, 
they saw a lot of things that God did. They encountered the stuff, if you like, a lot. I'm just going to reel off a few, okay? The 10 physical supernatural signs that were proving the existence of God to Pharaoh, the escape from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the visible manifestation of the presence of God in the pillar of God cloud and the pillar of fire every day and every night. Water pouring out of a rock when they were thirsty. Food provided for them so they wouldn't starve. I could go on. We haven't got time to read the whole of Exodus, much as I'd like to. So they encountered the works of God, and Drew's already referred to this. They encountered the provision and the care and the physical evidence, but they did not experience the presence of God for themselves. And if we don't carry the presence of God, we're done for. And and in fact, at some point, Moses actually declares this. What else distinguishes us from everybody else except your presence? We have to desire and love his presence more than anything else. It's hard for us. The Israelites, they loved his protection. They loved his provision. They loved his rescue. But basically... Another person did the encountering and transferred the outcome to them. They kind of didn't even really, they almost didn't want it. At one time they said to Moses, oh, you go and speak to God. We we don't want it. We're scared, you know. They didn't trust him because they didn't know him. And then when things went wrong, they used those things to measure the character of God. You know, he he doesn't love us. Where is he? He's not even here anymore. You've you've sent us into a trap, God. You're going to kill us. And then you know what happened. But anyway, let's not get lost in that desert. Because otherwise, <laughs> let's get back to the answer the question. Why do we need to put God first? Why do we make him our number one priority? Because he's God. Because of who he is. We trust in his nature regardless. His nature and character is a solid, firm foundation on which we can confidently stand, knowing it will never give way. Okay? So we need to find out who God is. We need to get to know him. Best person to do that, Jesus. That's why he came. One of the reasons he came, to show us the Father. And that's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) Hopefully you've got the message. Okay, now for the next bit, how do we do it? How do we put God first? So, our normal knee-jerk reaction, if anyone talks about firsts or top priorities, is to think in lists or hierarchies or ladders. Do you know what I mean? Like, pretty well, everything in life operates like this. Education, sport, business, economics, like top of the class, or the Premier League. Come on, Liverpool. (laughs) They are at the moment. (laughs) Um, Employee of the month. You know, when we try and book an Airbnb, we look for the best ratings or, you know, you know what I mean, don't you? Number one in the charts, if that's even still a thing anymore. Um, both downloaded, is it, or streamed? Anyway, we are hardwired in our Western culture and our social structure to use lists and ladders to order our lives. It's very deeply ingrained into us by parents, teachers, counsellors, media, you know, everyone. The best or most important thing gets the prime spot, gold medal, and the most attention. Either it comes first, or we build up to it, and then the most important thing is kind of at the end, but it's still like a you know, a list or a straight line. And it's okay, because it's how we do most of life, and it does work. Uh, And some people actually call this straight line thinking or Greek thinking. And the reason they call it Greek thinking is because the ancient Greeks were the first to introduce into our culture the sort of maths and philosophy and science and logic that, that we still use today. But 
I think that we can run into difficulties if we try to apply that straight-line thinking to our spiritual lives. If we try to put Jesus first using that method, it somehow doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for me anyway. We know it's really important to spend time reading the Bible, praying, listening, whatever. So we put it at the top of all our mental lists every day or week or whatever. And it does actually work for some people. And if you are that person who always puts aside the first part of the day and has a really good time, really fruitful reading the Bible and praying, honestly, it's brilliant. And I take my hat off to you. Um, And I'm sure that you see the fruit of that in your lives. And, And may you continue to experience that. But how many of the rest of us struggle to do that? We want to do it. We know it's the best way to start the day, but somehow it doesn't work because life gets in the way. People get in the way. You have to drop everything to rescue your eight-year-old because they had an accident at school, or your parents, or your neighbor, or your friend had a crisis, or you work full-time, or you have a punishing work pattern and you have to commute two and a half hours each day, (laughs) or you're up three hours every night with your baby who then doesn't sleep during the day. Or right now... Your life's so chaotic, you can't even make a list, let alone stick to it. How do we put God first in a way that is (laughs) life-proof? And this is where I was at some time ago, trying to juggle the need to put Jesus first and manage everything else going on in my life. Uh, Or falling into the danger of, um, if I, no, sorry, fitting him in, you know, to all my available spaces or end of the day or whatever I could do. Uh, And also finding it a bit, you know, like I felt guilty if I didn't. And then if I did, I'd feel guilty because, oh, is that enough? Is that right? Or I might just treat it as a tick box or or feel very smug if I did get it right. It didn't didn't work for me, really. So uh, what is it that helped me get out of this mindset? Well, it was this. I read a book by a professor of theology, which is, I think, very impressive for me. Uh, And he did an excellent job explaining how to read the Bible by understanding some of the thinking and the culture of Hebrew writers. And it was was eye-opening. How they construct their storytelling, how they write their literature, and a lot of that is in the Bible. And bearing in mind that the three major religions in the world, so Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, come from the East... A lot of the thinking buried deep in that is Eastern thinking and Eastern culture. And that's alien to us. And specifically with Hebrew writings and language, very often the important thing doesn't come at the beginning or the end, comes in the middle. And, and there's often a deliberate symmetry as well to a story or a parable or a psalm which reveals much more about what's being said than you actually think when you first read it. And especially in poetic books like Psalms, Um, and the prophetic books, um, in Jesus' parables, and even across a whole book like Ruth or Jonah, you can see this sort of symmetry. And the important thing is very often in the middle. And again, quickly, the most important thing is in the centre. I was just going to take you through Psalm 23 and look at what was important. We haven't got time to read it, but most of you will know it. Um, And the first and the last bit of that is so nice. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I love that. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love it. I just love it. it's, It's such a great psalm. But the most important thing with this psalm are those five little words in the middle. 
for you are with me. Everything we need. We can't do lying down in green pastures, restoring our souls, fearing no evil, eating from the table, having goodness and mercy follow us. We can't do it. Because the most important thing is that he's with us. Everything hangs on that. So, you got the idea. The idea of the most important thing being in the middle sometimes. It got me thinking, and remembering that we're still trying to answer the second question, how do we put Jesus first? Here's my suggestion. Don't. Don't put Jesus first. Don't even try. Don't put him at the top of your list each day or each week or each 1st of January when you make your New Year's resolutions. Don't even think about it in a list way or a ladder way. Instead, put him in the center of everything you do. That way, you will ensure that he is the most important part of everything you do. If you've had a prophetic word this morning, put Jesus in the center of it, okay? Don't take Drew's word for it. Put Jesus in the center of it. Drew wouldn't want you to do that. Put Jesus in the center, because when he's bang in the middle, it, it makes such a difference. Every part of that connects to him, okay? Now, let me show you what I mean. A visual aid here. I'm not doing very well. Okay, so here, here are all the bits of my life. Okay, my family, marriage, work commitments, blah, 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 blah. Here they all are. And here's Jesus somewhere. I've lost him. That one's Jesus, okay. And so I'm putting, I'm trying to put him at the top, but oh no, this has happened and that has happened and he was at the top, oh, but now that's happened, now he's gone to the bottom. What am I going to do? You know, it's just, it doesn't work. Okay, so um, I'm trying to order my life according to what's wise and what's good and I'm trying to put Jesus on the top, but the loud thing starts shouting and I think, oh, I've got to go and do that or, oh, my 95-year-old neighbor's had a fall. I've just, I've just got to drop everything. I've got to do it, okay? And then I feel bad. And I think, oh, no, I didn't contact that person. I didn't text that person. What am I going to, you know? And it just gets a bit like that. So, this is my solution. Instead of having Jesus as a separate part of your life, separate circle in this case, that's Jesus. Okay? I'm going to put him in the center of everything. So I don't have to make an ordered list. If there's something that's taking up all of my time and all of my headspace in that moment, I can put Jesus in the middle of that. If something new comes up in my life, I can put him in the middle of that. You getting it? All the pressure and guilt falls away because he's not competing with the rest of my life. He's in it. He is my life. He connects everything and he influences everything. My relationships, my home. I don't know why it's that big, but I'm just, you know. <laughs> my garden. How do I honor my leaders, my employers, the government? How do I explain the gospel to people that don't know? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? And I can even put him in the center of the crap stuff. My laziness. My dysfunctional relationship with something or someone. My fears over money, jobs, the future. Put Jesus in the center. My best friend's diagnosis of cancer, put him in the center. My lukewarm Christian life, put him in the center. That secret thing I'm really ashamed about and I don't want to admit to anyone, 
put Jesus in the center. And that's what happens. Everything is accessible to him. Everything is visible. Good things get better. Hard things become easier to carry. And Jesus will show you if there are things in any of these that don't align with God's word or are dishonoring to his name or are just plain sin. (laughs) He will show you healthy ways out of sinful habits and destructive habits or relationships. And although it can sound a bit scary to give that kind of permission to Jesus, but that's the whole point of knowing him. We need to know him because when we know him, we don't panic because he's utterly trustworthy, utterly reliable because of who he is. So it's important to get to know who he is. And the better we know him, the easier it is to do it. It's the beginning of transformation. And incidentally... What I found was when I tried to do this, I'm not always great at it, I'll be honest, but it became so natural for me to want to start my day with Jesus. I wanted to include him in everything, talk to him about everything, discuss things. I want him to be at the centre. I want him to influence all of it. So I'm going to end with... This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians about some of the hardship that he and his friends are facing. So that's what he says, which I'm not going to read, okay? But it talks about treasures in jars of clay. This is my paraphrase of what he's saying. I'm sorry we don't have time to read it. The knowledge of the glory of God expressed through Jesus is right at the center of everything we do. This is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. They're Greeks, by the way. Um, Jesus is right at the center of everything we do, just like treasure in a clay pot. This gives us resilience and strength. So externally, we may be hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, but internally, we are never crushed, never in despair, never abandoned, never destroyed. I pray that that woman from Mariupol, I don't know what her name is, I pray, I really pray that that is how she feels. All this stuff has happened to me, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I've got a treasure And those verses don't mean that you won't experience um, injustice or pressures or trauma. Paul did, you will, and so will I. I promise you that. But living with God at the center does guarantee that you will not crumble in here, okay, where it matters, in your spirit, in your soul. You will not crumble because you are rooted in the most solid, stable, and steadfast ground that exists, the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself. Okay, so I hear you say neats. That's a great theory. How do you do this in practice? And of course, you're absolutely right, because if you just cut out a load of circles and stick them on a bamboo skewer, it's not going to ensure that Jesus is in the center of anything, which is a shame. No. If we decide that this is a good thing to do, we need to learn how to make it our default. Okay, it might require a change of thinking. We could probably find it quite easy when things are going along quite nicely. But it's really important to know how to do it when things are not going so well. Because everything in us wants to find an easier way or a quicker way or a painless way. And how we get that knowledge is by looking at the Bible's perspective. So we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. So you just have to kind of be in suspense, okay? (laughs) Maybe you could do it for yourself this week as well. 
Um, right now, I'd like to give a little bit of time for the Holy Spirit to speak to us all. Um, and just before I do, I just want to go back to what Drew said. If you don't know who this Jesus is, why we talk about him so much, how he made it possible for us to become sons and daughters, please don't leave here without exploring that. You can come and talk to Rich or me or, or someone you trust afterwards, okay? Okay, so in the last few minutes, I'd like us to consider couple of things. Firstly, if you've realized that your relationship with God rises or falls on what he does or doesn't do rather than on who he is, and if you want that to be different, spend some time asking forgiveness for that, for valuing God's actions more than his attributes, and commit yourself to making the switch. You can do that in one minute. Secondly, if you know or suspect that there's a part of your life which doesn't have Jesus right at the very centre, again, repent of that and make a decision to release it to him and give him permission to do whatever he wants. And for those who already do life or try to with Jesus in the centre, that is great. And, and I just want you to know that Jesus loves to partner with people who do this. And you will automatically be a blessing to others when you do that. However, it's always good for us to do an inventory and make sure. So feel free to do that and take time to do that. Or, or to ask God if there's anyone that maybe you could help with, um, help them in. And in a minute, I'll put up some things for you to consider, which I thought might be relevant to people this morning. But don't have to restrict yourself to that list. If the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you about something go ahead and do what you need to do, okay? Some of the things are not bad or unhealthy in themselves, but if we don't give Jesus the right to bring his God-given word and perspective, then they will be wonky, okay? So I'm just going to pray. Father, Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We trust you and we believe in your goodness to us. We ask you to bring to your minds anywhere where we have sinned and where, anywhere where we need to invite you to be centre stage. Thank you, God, for your kindness, which leads us to repentance. We gladly come under that kindness and we know that when you are with us, we do not need to fear anything. 